what's the deal with the world as Chapman? Something, something, he shot a gun in his garage or something. Look, I get it. We, we all saw the title and probably thought this was going to go into the same obvious joke that everybody had been making for the last, like, seven years or so. And a role as Chapman, domestic abuser. Isn't that funny, guys? <laughs> all right, there we go. Now that, now that he's not on the team anymore, we can all move on with our lives and we can get that out of the way. Although it is kind of funny he went to Texas. Good dot 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 morning, afternoon, evening, to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. We are in July now, so I'm going to try making these Monday episodes more regular because we got stuff to talk about already. We've got stuff to talk about as it is already, but July, we normally expect that to be a pretty busy month for Royals fans because, you know, there's nothing to really look forward to other than what are we going to do at the trade deadline? What's going to happen on draft night? And already, the Royals have really gotten the jump on the rest of the league. They've already made a really big move, maybe the first team to make a big trade for the deadline so far this season, trading Eroldis Chapman away to the Rangers, Chapman being one of the most coveted relievers that would have been available at the deadline. He is now a Texas Ranger, so we'll talk about the return on that and potential other things. We've already talked about trade candidates on this podcast, so uh, go back to the complete and total oblivion episode where I have some trade ideas for guys that are pretty obviously going to get traded later on this month. But I think it would still be fun to reiterate kind of what I'm looking forward to with this trade deadline and what I want, re- what I really want the Royals to be getting back and how does the Chapman trade play into that? Do I like this return? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all-star selections. Salvador Perez is an all-star once again, making his eighth All-Star appearance in 2023. He will represent the Royals alone. He is, of course, the only All-Star that we have on this team. Talk about that a little bit. We've got to talk about the three-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers that happened over the weekend. A series that, unbelievably, the Royals won two games to three, uh, which also included the MLB debut of a highly rated prospect, at least in the eyes of many Royals fans, Alec Marsh, starting pitcher. How did he do in his game? And then we're going to talk about the upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins for the next three days. And by the way, I'm Lux. At least that's what I keep telling people. I'm the guy that does this show. And um, this is where I generally plug the Twitters for myself and the podcast. But Twitter is, like, impossible to use right now. Or maybe it's not. It was for a couple of days. And that was really weird. I don't know. Some mediocre white guy decided that he just wanted to ruin the website because... It has some kind of self-inflicted DDoS attack because he fired a bunch of the people that didn't write enough lines of code for him or something stupid like that. But whatever. Um, At Royal Deluxe Pod, that's the podcast Twitter. That's where we have additional baseball commentary. More moment to moment for when I'm actually watching the Royals play. And at the MFNKC, that's my own personal quote-unquote Twitter account for where I post my Immaculate Grid answers, which I missed today's. Because, apparently, Nick Markakis never had a 200-hit season. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? I did not have to sit through 
arguments about why Nick Markakis should be a Hall of Famer if he has 3,000 hits, just for him to not even have a 200-hit season. This is bullcrap. Freaking stupid. <laughs> anyway, uh, so let's talk about roster moves. That's how we start the show, generally. So one thing that's pretty important for the Royals is that Amir Garrett has been reinstated. And I wrote down no roster move was announced. I actually... Wait. Maybe the roster move technically was Aroldis Chapman. That might have been it. But I thought I thought that Alec Marsh coming up would have required a roster move. And there was no like specific roster move for that either. I feel like I've missed something, and I have no idea what. So we got back Amir Garrett, and also uh, Alec Marsh was added to the 26th man. But I have no idea who, like was replaced um again a Rolls chapman is off because he got traded and we'll talk about that but mayor garrett just back to him important that he's on this roster because he's someone who's going to be a free agent at the end of this season as you probably know already so he's someone that needs to get as many opportunities as possible we need to get him all peppered up so that the team some kind of team can trade us something for him i'm sure he'll he'll bring back something at the deadline whatever that is probably a really insignificant piece frankly but it's still important that we have amir garrett because it's something so that's pretty cool and uh colin snyder was called up to kansas city I have openly questioned why he is even on the 40-man roster, and now he's in Kansas City. He pitched on Sunday, he gave up two hits, didn't give up a run, but once again, I'm just like, why? I don't know. And in return, Brooks Krisky was optioned to AAA Omaha. Why him? I don't know, I don't know why him. What did he do? He was pitching, like, okay. He had, like, a, he had, I mean, he hadn't, he didn't pitch much, but so far, he's been, like, fine he had a terrible first appearance but since then he's fine 4.05 era so far he pitched two innings on friday two scoreless innings on friday against the against the an offense that was doing pretty well in that game frankly but now he's in omaha uh, i i don't understand the royals sometimes like i don't know nick whitgren in that same game brooks Krisky pitched two scoreless innings pitched one inning and gave up four runs but he's still on the roster very, very strange. Um, so good luck to Mr. Snyder, I guess. Sorry if I sound like a hater. I'm just skeptical of all of this, but whatever. I mean, sorry for not being excited about a guy who had a 6.35 ERA in the minors. And uh, I mean, look, I, I get that uh, that that league over there, that AAA league is having some kind of crazy offensive environment, but still not instilling a whole lot of confidence there. But again, I'll, I'll root for him. Because if he does well, then the Royals are doing well. So I'll, I'll take it. And, of course, the big transaction the Royals made in terms of roster moves. Eroldis, not a T, Eroldis Chapman has been traded to the Texas Rangers. It happened. This has been a very obvious thing. Eroldis Chapman was signed to the Royals so he could be traded later. That was the, the, the goal. That was the plan all along. And I am personally someone who was really skeptical of Chapman. I was not a fan of Chapman. Even just at, even just disregarding any personal feelings or whatever, I did not really like his ability as a pitcher. I felt like he had really fallen off. I felt like he was more just like like he has velocity, but that's about all he has. And it just felt like he always gave up the game in the most important situations imaginable. But credit where it's due, he posted a 2.45 
ERA in 31 appearances for the Royals? Got his velocity back to the way it was from, like, basically when he was first signed to the Yankees in, like, 2017 or so, throwing 103 at times. Like, yeah, the Royals have successfully fixed Eroldis Chapman, and they they had been floating around the, the, the idea of trading him all the way back in May. This was, this was not a secret at all. The Royals are just like, hey, come and get this guy. We will trade him as soon as possible as long as we just get a, a guy that we like in return. So we were hoping that Eroldis Chapman would bring back something at the deadline, maybe even potentially something better if he was packaged with someone else like Scott Barlow, who has a little bit more of team team control behind him, but he wasn't. He was traded by himself. I'm actually a little bit surprised by that, but I guess I won't complain as long as the return itself is good. So the Royals flipped Aroldis Chapman for a pitcher named Cole Reagans. I think that I'm going to assume it's Cole Reagans. It could be Cole Raggins or something like that. And also outfielder Roni Cabrera. Now, I I have really mixed opinions about this return, but there's something that I need to acknowledge, and it's that selling your players is a losing battle in and of itself. And I talked about this when we did the uh, the the kind of trade simulations that I or simulations if you want to call it that back in a a couple weeks ago, a week or two ago, the again the complete and total oblivion episode as I dramatically titled it. I I t- teams don't want to give up prospects. Teams more than ever have learned that young controllable players are the most valuable players in baseball. So if there's someone that they really think is going to be good for their major league team for six plus years, especially in the very near future or even the immediate future, they're they are going to be adamant about keeping them around. They're gonna they're gonna be like, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens this season. We would rather hold on to this guy and lose than give him up and see him successful elsewhere. And for for you know the the the, the very short term temporary like one-year success, unless that success turns into a World Series, in which case, you know, then it doesn't matter. But usually it doesn't. Only one team wins a World Series every year. And another thing that teams are trying to do is that they are trying to have long-term success. No one wants to have a window anymore. No one wants to be good, you know, no, no one wants to make four consecutive playoff appearances and then disappear for the next five. That's just not what anybody really wants. And so teams are trying to organize themselves so that they don't have that happen to them. So the Texas Rangers, they they may be good this season. They are good this season. They're one of the best teams in baseball this season, as a matter of fact. And um, they have a very young roster. They have a pretty good farm system. But they're not looking at this like, okay, let's let's you know do everything we can in the next three years. Like 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 this is this is it's going to happen or it's not. We're gonna we're gonna put everything we have into these next few years so that we can get you know so we can hopefully win a World Series. Obviously, they're thinking, okay, this is the start of us being good. We don't ever want to have a 100 or even a 90 loss season ever again. So. We're going to take these young guys and we're going to keep them controllable and we're going to constantly reinforce this farm system. So even when we do have something that we need for a deep playoff run, or or rather when we are trying to get something we need for a deep playoff run, we're not going to give up those guys that we think could have a six-year window of success. So keep that in mind when evaluating 
a trade return because it's easy to look at a guy that's good on your team. Like it's easy to look at a Roldis Chapman and say, Hey, Roldis Chapman is pitching like he did when he was one of the best relievers in baseball. He is one of the best relievers in baseball. A team that's really trying to get deep into the playoffs could really use him, especially the team that doesn't have a good bullpen like the Texas Rangers. Oh, funny enough. I simulated a trade of Scott Barlow and Aroldis Chapman to the Texas Rangers. Funny. But trades are a two-way thing. So the other team is probably looking at it's like, yeah, you know what? We'd rather just make the playoffs with a with a bad with a bad bullpen if it means having to give up someone that we really like. You can keep that guy, we'll keep our guys. Unless, you know, maybe a team is in an emergency situation where it's like Okay, we just need to make the playoffs this season, which I think the only team that really applies that 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 would really apply to this season is the Angels because Otani's a free agent after this season. The Angels have to show something. They have to have something to show for having Shohei Otani on their team. If they don't make the playoffs this season, I don't know what's going to happen with that franchise. I think that they're just going to slip into a black hole and disappear, frankly. And you know what? Good. So, Cole Reagan's the, the the main guy, I would say, that we got in this trade was not a very highly ranked prospect. In fact, he wasn't a prospect. He isn't a prospect. This is a guy that has already accumulated 64.1 innings in the major leagues. And even when he was a prospect, which went back to last year, he wasn't super highly rated. Fangraphs had him at their, at, as the 20th ranked prospect in the Rangers system. He did used to be a borderline top 100 prospect. He even pitched in the Futures game back in 2021. He's a first-round pick, very late first-round pick in 2016. Um, But so far has a 5.92 ERA in the majors after nine starts, 26 games overall. He actually made a start for AAA Omaha yesterday through 4.2 innings, Five earned runs, 75 pitches. However, Royals Farm was very active on reporting on his start. He was actually scoreless through four innings. It was just that fifth inning where he just completely blew up. And they defended it with, well, he hasn't thrown 75 pitches in a long time because the Rangers actually used him out of the bullpen pretty much exclusively this season. At least when he was at the major league level. Out of those 75 pitches, 67% of them were strikes. And he didn't give up any walks at all. So that is something that I appreciate. And they were particularly complimentary, complimentary, complimentary. Yeah, that's the word on his, the spin rate on his fastball. He throws a 96 or it, it averaged a little bit lower than that. But they were saying that he, a 96 mile an hour fastball with 2,500 revolutions per minute of spin on it. That's what he was able to throw. And the only person in the majors who's doing that is Tanner Scott, who doesn't have career, who doesn't have good career numbers in general, but at least right now this season out of the bullpen for Miami, he has a 3.23 ERA. So there's a bit of a weird comp right there. And we're, we're thinking of Reagan's as a starter. The one thing that Royals Farm was not complimentary on was his cutter, saying that the, his, the numbers on his cutter, not just with the Royals, but just in general, were really, really bad. So they're saying just scrap that pitch entirely. I guess it is worth noting that he throws, a obviously, a fastball, but also a curveball and changeup as well. So the cutter was a fourth pitch option, but clearly not a good option. And interestingly, interestingly enough, 
and I guess this ties back into the the strike percentage and and all that. Um, Fangraphs, what I was reading from, gave him a potential 60 grade on his command with a present 55 grade, and this was back in 2022. So a lefty with a 60 grade changeup and 60 grade command, that's something right there. It's just the fastball and the curveball aren't great, but still, he does have a very good pitch in his arsenal with good command. So... I'm going to be optimistic about this and say that this is a potentially good return for a rental closer. Not even a closer. He wasn't used as a closer. And Rangers played yesterday. They had to roll as Chapman make his debut in the seventh inning. So I don't think they're planning on making him the closer either. And so, yeah, that's a that, that could be really good. But there is something that bothers me. And it's what I really do not want the Royals to do with this trade deadline. And it's that they went after a major league guy. They went after a guy, and I assume the reason why they did this is because, and I'm pretty sure J.J. Piccolo literally said this was the plan because they wanted major league help, like right now. They want guys that they can add to the major league roster now or at the very least later this season. And honestly, no. Royals, no. Bad. Stop that. Now. Do not make a trade and base your return on what you need on this major league roster right now. Why would you do that? What is the point of that? There is nothing to play for this season. It's over. We're done. Give up on the major league roster. It is what it is. This season sucks. I get it. It's not fun. But... Getting guys to make it a little less terrible just does nothing. The last thing the Royals need to do right now is make another Mike Moustakis trade. And what I mean by this is when the Royals traded Mike Moustakis in 2018, they got Brett Phillips and Jorge Lopez in return. On paper, this was a great return. These were two players who I think were both top 100 prospects going into that season They were major league ready. They were immediately put onto the major league roster. And the Royals were like, hey, we got these these major league ready players that are going to help us moving forward. And sure, they were fun in 2018. They helped that team a little bit in 2018. So we lost 104 games as opposed to 108 games. Woo! Yay! But there was a very big problem with both of those players. Brett Phillips. Bananas defender. Rocket launcher arm, could play center, great speed, had an okay bat with some pop, struck out way too much. Jorge Lopez, amazing movement on his pitches, had no idea what he was doing with that movement. Neither of those things were ironed out with the Royals. They had no idea how to fix those issues. So, sure, they had some flashes of brilliance in 2018. Brett Phillips was a fantastic defender in 2018. Jorge Lopez almost threw a perfect game in 2018. And yeah, they added a couple of wins to a 104 loss season. You know what it would what you know what would have been a lot better? Adding a couple of wins in 2020 when technically the Royals only missed the playoffs by 3 games. Instead, they were off the roster. Uh, in 2020, during 2020. They didn't even finish the season with the Royals. So that was a wasted trade. Don't get guys 
because they're major league ready, especially if they have these huge issues that really need to be ironed out. Are you sure that you're going to get them ironed out? I'm just really skeptical of acquiring a player because, hey, look, they're major league ready. I mean, at least unless we give up like a really, really good player like Michael Garcia, which is another guy that I kind of simulated a trade for a couple weeks ago. But, you know, a rental player, like I said, teams don't want to give up those young guys unless they really look at them and say, okay, you know what? It's probably not happening with this guy. Like, Like I said, Cole Reagans, he was a first rounder from 2016. This guy is 25 already. He hasn't really made it in the majors. So they're like, okay, you know what? Probably not happening. We tried. Let's just flip him for something or, or, or whatever. But the reason why I kind of dislike this is because this is like the kind of guy you would get at the waiver wire in the offseason, more, more, more likely. So that's why I don't necessarily dislike the return, but I do really dislike the philosophy of the return. I really, really hope that the Royals don't keep doing this, but it does kind of look like they're doing this. And it's why I, when I was giving some trade ideas, I wasn't looking at guys that were in the AAA level or so. I was looking at guys that were deep into farm systems. I mean, I, I guess if you can get a good prospect in AAA that, you know, is kind of major league ready. Like, like if the opportunity presents itself, then sure. And I did look at some kind of highly rated but struggling prospects, like the Rangers, I, I, uh, Shouted out, uh, it was Owen White, who was like their second best prospect or even their best prospect overall going to this season, but hasn't had a good season this year. So I thought maybe, possibly, but whatever. But anyway, I wanted to look deeper into farm systems to say, hey, go get these younger guys that teams are probably going to be less resistant in giving up because those guys are probably four years away and those teams aren't really thinking too much about four years away. They're probably thinking about just the next four years as they are. And for what it's worth, the Royals did do that as well with this trade. They traded for a 17-year-old outfielder named Rony Cabrera, who is still in rookie ball league, essentially, basically still in instructional league. He turns 18 this July, actually at the very end of the month, I think at the 31st specifically. And he is hitting, so far, 310 with a 452 on base, and a 621 slugging. That's an OPS of 1,073 right there. Only seven games, I think, or 17 games. Yeah, 17 games. 13 walks to only nine strikeouts. This is the kind of guy that I actually want to the Royals to be targeting. When I did my trade simulations, I was looking at pitchers who were... I was, I was exclusively looking at pitchers because this, this, this system needs pitching. But the guys I was targeting were guys who were really, really young but had good control. And I think the Royals kind of did the same thing, but with a hitter. Kind of like how I, I, I want I want guys with command and, com- and control because those are the hardest things to teach a pitcher. And similarly, knowledge of the strike zone is one of the hardest things or maybe just the hardest thing to teach a hitter. Some guys just kind of have it or they don't. And so far, Rony Cabrera might be a guy that has it. Again, super small sample size, and this guy is super, super young, but that's kind of what you want with these lottery tickets. There's a good foundation already set in place. So this is the guy that you want to have in your system. You just teach him how to hit, quite literally, and then keep him in keep him in shape as his body continues growing. And these are the kind of players that can just kind of pop out of nowhere in minor league systems. 
I mean, that's quite literally what happened with Fernando Tatis Jr. He was a 17-year-old player when he was traded for James Shields. And then, like, two years later, oh, suddenly he's, like, the best player in, in the entire world. That's why they call them lottery tickets. Usually they're nothing. But sometimes you win a hundred billion trillion dollars or something. So, all in all, pretty good return for a role as Chapman. I would say I'm Skeptical, but how do I say skeptical but hopeful? Is that does that even make sense? <laughs> no, that's that's a total contradiction, I guess. Um, all right, now moving on from that, uh, quickly want to shout out Salvi, Mister Salvador Perez, on his eighth All Star appearance. He's going to be the Royals candidate for, uh, I guess, a representative at the All Star game in Seattle this season. Funny enough, um, there are a couple other Royals or former, very former, very recent former Royals that are also making the All-Star game. One of them is Brent Rooker, so cue someone saying that the Royals are idiots for giving up on a, a, a corner outfield DH guy who has had a 600 OPS since May 1st or so. Um uh, you know, good good for him, I suppose. Congratulations on uh, the, the, the very good April that you had. Uh, Whit Merrifield's in the All-Star game, which just kind of goes to show, I think, I, I think Whit Merrifield just kind of didn't want to play for the Royals anymore, and that's maybe why he was bad. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know what? I, I'm kind of I'm kind of happy for him. I'm kind of happy for him because I feel like Whit Merrifield was snubbed back in the past, maybe in like 2017 or 2018. Uh, so cool that he's making his third all-star appearance now. And also Jorge Soler is in the all-star game this season. And I'm actually really stoked for that because Jorge Soler should have been the Royals all-star in 2019. Instead, he wasn't. It was Whit Merrifield, which was kind of fair. But again, Whit Merrifield should have been the all-star in 2018 instead. And it was, instead it was Salvi, which only, which mostly happened because the, there was just no other catcher. Like, the catching market in 2018 was bizarrely horrible, and somehow Salvi was the starter of that game. It was hilarious. He was hitting, like, 200 at the time. He was having an awful season, but he was the starter for the All-Star game because there were just that few good catchers in baseball, apparently, at that moment. So, Whit Merrifield missed out in 2018. Instead, he got it in 2019, but at the expense of Jorge Soler, who didn't even get invited to the Derby, which was the weirdest thing. I hope he gets into the Derby this season. Please give us the Soler power in the Home Run Derby this time. It's like, it's like finally, everything has been set right. All's well that ends well. And, uh, yeah. But there goes my hot take from the beginning of the season where I said the Royals were going to have three All-Stars <laughs> this season. I said I said it was going to be Salvi, Vinny, and Scotty, most likely. Oh, well. <laughs> Never making that prediction ever again. But something that I can be very, very happy about and genuinely happy about this time is the Royals took two out of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. The Los Angeles Dodgers, for what it's worth, aren't having a world-ending season like they were last year when they won 111 games. So they came into Kansas City and it's just like, oh god, <laughs> what's 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 about to happen? Please stop! And uh, they they tore us apart for two games. Although fortunately, they actually the, the Royals won the last game of that series because of Brady Singer being just freak a freaking beast that year. And and that almost sort of happened in the same way. 
Like, like we, we, we almost had a repeat of that series, essentially, because the first game did not go well at all. Royals lost this one big time, 9-3. Alec Marsh made his MLB debut. What a way to, <laughs> to, to open up your MLB career. You know, you prob- dude's following his dreams and then has to deal with Mookie Bats, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith. Mookie Betts hits a home run on, like, the first pitch of the game. <laughs> Welcome to the big leagues, kid. Enjoy. Um, so Alec Marsh, four innings pitched, five earned runs, four walks, five strikeouts, two home runs, both of them to Mookie Betts. Eh, it, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of look at it and you just go, Poor kid, he didn't deserve that. I mean, he battled. I mean, he he tried. I mean, he, he it wasn't a completely terrible start. He threw four innings. Was he threw ninety five pitches? So he he really tried. Five innings in this situation. It's not like you know. Again, not completely terrible. Very good lineup. Just it's a lot to ask for in this start. I suppose. Not really going to judge him too heavily on that. He is going to get another start. It looks like I'm I'm not actually entirely sure. This is actually maybe worth talking about, um, but Alec Marsh, the only reason why he was called up in the first place is because um, Jordan Lyles is sick, apparently, so he was going to miss his start, so they called up someone else. And I don't know what the plan is moving forward, because he is listed as the probable pitcher for Wednesday's game when he would, uh, you know, the next turn in his rotate in the rotation would come for him. That totally did not make any sense, but what, whatever. So basically, whenever Jordan Lyles would be expected to pitch, Alec Marsh is listed there instead. I don't like like the Royals still haven't said what exactly is wrong with Jordan Lyles, just that he's sick. He's not on the IL or anything, so it's not like a super long term thing, but I'm just not entirely sure. But if Jordan Lyles does come back, then what happens to Alec Marsh? Does he just get sent back down? I suppose that would make sense, but I do feel like he's a young guy and should be getting more opportunities. I just have no idea. Worth noting, I do hope he will be able to start on Wednesday. I would be excited for that. Uh, He'll go up against a much less threatening lineup in the Minnesota Twins. But we will just have to see what happens in the next couple of days. So not, so I guess disappointing start, but not a completely dreadful one. Just, you know, unfortunate circumstances, I suppose. Um, and the Royals were competitive in this game for the most part. Uh, for Okay, they were competitive for a while. Bobby Miller pitched for the Dodgers. He's a, a very good pitcher, or I, I I want to believe he's a very good pitcher. He was, he, his first like three starts in the majors were just absolutely insane. And then he kind of fell off after that. Uh, but the Royals were competitive against him. 5.2 innings pitched, three earned runs. Um, so they, they, they did okay. But then later on in the game, Nick Whitgren came out. Gave up three earned runs, four total, so that put the game completely out of reach. Nothing happened after that. It is what it is. Um, And then Royals bounced back after that. On Saturday, Daniel Lynch got the bump, went five innings, three earned runs, four strikeouts, three walks. Not a pretty stat line, but again, this is a very, very good lineup, and I feel like this is just kind of what you have to hope for. Like, this is... Maybe the best worst case scenario where, yeah, your starter didn't, wasn't great. He didn't shut them down or anything, but he kept you in the game. And interestingly enough, he pitched a hundred, he threw 108 pitches. 
in this start. So he really battled to just stay in the game. Many thought that he would only go four because he was already at like 90 pitches after the fourth. But yeah, manager Q, kind of a bold move, bringing him back out for the fifth, but he pitched a scoreless fifth and yeah, just kept the team in the game. And it does maybe help a little bit that the Royals already had the lead by this point. They had <laughs> the first inning from hell was unleashed upon Julio Arias, a guy that I have been saying would be a really good free agent pickup if the Royals really want to splurge this offseason, which I really feel like they should go out and get a good starting pitcher. Maybe not Julio Arias. I don't know if I want him anymore. Three innings pitched, five earned runs. All five of those were in the first inning where the Royals blooped this guy harder than any team has ever been blooped ever before. And yes, I know, it's the Royals. We're, we go back to, you know, the glory days of the 2014 and 15 team where they would hit bloop singles all day. <laughs> like they, These guys just had the most improbable hits ever. Pop-ups that would just stay up and fielders would be helpless against them. <laughs> it's just like, what happened in this inning, dude? I mean, some of these were like, like Bobby Wood Jr. hits one expected batting average, 270. I mean, that's that's one, I suppose. But then Salvi hits one expected batting average, 30. Like, that that's impossible. <laughs> That's that's something that should not be a hit whatsoever, but it was. Yeah, uh, just just a very very weird inning, and hit and and for what it's worth, Urias didn't pitch well at all, just in general. So it's not like he like he was unlucky, but he didn't really do himself a whole lot of favors. Just wasn't missing bats. Only recorded two strikeouts. Uh, gave up a couple of walks. Also a hit by pitch in that first inning, which didn't help them. And then there was a balk at some point. Like it, it was a, it was a messy game. So again, that really helps that Danny Lynch only uh, gave up three runs in five innings. Went those five innings. Then that leaves uh, Carlos Hernandez, Seenanners to come out, pitch two scoreless innings. He looked fantastic in those. Taylor Clark came in, got the eighth. Almost blew it. Wasn't looking very good like he has recently. I, well, I don't know what's going on with him. Only recorded two outs. Gave up three hits. One earned run. So Q went with the emergency closer deployment. Scott Barlow comes in. Gets a four-out save. And good for him. Dodgers don't have a very good bullpen. Oh no. If only they didn't release a completely random minor league pitcher that would go on to be one of the best relievers in the game. I wonder who who that could have been. Yeah, it was Scott Barlow. Did you know that? Scott Barlow was in the Dodgers minor league system and then they released him before the 2018 season. The Royals signed him as a minor league free agent. And look at him now. I do hope I really hope he gets traded to the Dodgers because that conversation would be awkward. And then Sunday, finale of this series, Brady Singer pitches seven innings, gives up one earned run. What's going on? This is combined with the six scoreless innings that he pitched um, last week against the Guardians. Suddenly, Brady Singer is looking pretty good. Is it is, is he fixed now? Is it? I don't want to say. I don't want to say because we've already we we've, we've seen moments where Brady Singer you know throws some pretty good starts. And for what it's worth, it's not like he was twenty twenty two Brady Singer quite. Um, only only got four strikeouts and three walks. 
And again, we said it, it's a very good lineup, but last year when he pitched against the Dodgers, it was six scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, and also three walks, funny enough. Only one hit, though, in that start. It was like the best start he had in the, in, in the entire season, and it was against a team that won 111 games. But sticks and stones, doesn't really matter that much. Brady Singer pitched fantastically on Sunday. Tony Gonzalez for the Dodgers did not pitch fantastically. 3.2 innings. Four earned runs overall, so they knock him out early as well. Like, the Royals really, they, they really uh, bared their fangs against the Dodgers' starting rotation this weekend. And then they didn't stop when when the, when the Catman was taken out of the game. They continued to just bully this pitching staff on Sunday. Royals would win this game 9-1. to I dare say this was the best game of the entire season. It was definitely the, the best day of baseball I've had this season because not only did the Royals play a fantastic game here, it also means that because the Dodgers lost, the Diamondbacks are in a bit of, are in a better position, or at least not in a worse position because they actually lost yesterday. And I am a Diamondbacks enjoyer this season myself. I had them as a secretly good team going into this season, and I kind of had some complimentary things to say about them as the season progressed, saying, hey, I think the Royals should be a little bit like the Diamondbacks going forward because they're doing some good stuff over there. So, good for them. And also, Tucker Bradley hit a three-run home run. <laughs> we don't do the Tucker Bradley segments on Monday episodes, but just 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 shouting out that that little thing that happened. So, I'm in a pretty good mood right now, as a matter of fact. I, for one day, I got to enjoy baseball. <laughs> Imagine that. So anyway, yeah, 9 to 1, 9 runs scored by this offense, and a lot of that was done by the bottom of the order. The bottom of this order really produced Drew Waters two-hit game, went 2 for 3 with a walk, and then Kyle Isbell who hasn't been looking super great since coming back up, although it, it, that was very very recent, went 2 for 4 also with a walk. Nicky Lopez went 2 for 5, drove in 4. Put some respect on Nicky Lopez's name. 11 RBIs this season. <laughs> he has four in one game on Sunday. 11 RBIs, including the four, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I and I really love Isbell and Waters both hitting because both of them are in competition. They're, they are the main competition for center field. And I think that this is Kyle's job to lose because defensively, He's the better fielder, he has the better reaction time, he has the better foot speed, but Drew Waters admittedly hits a lot better, and if Kyle can't hit, then, you know, then he can't hit. Can't really stick to, stick on the roster if he can't hit. But if both of them can hit, then no problems whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, actually, um, Drew Waters had a really good game defensively as well. I don't remember when specifically this was, and it probably didn't really matter that much, or I don't even remember specifically if this was on Sunday, but it definitely happened in this series, but someone hit a, a ball hard into right field, and Drew played the carom really, really well. He was patient in fielding this, played it off the carom really, really well, and then made a strong throw to second base. This limited the hit to a single. It should have been a double. It was like a textbook double, but Drew fielding it so efficiently reduced it to a single, and again, I don't know if this really did anything like like I don't know if it really had an impact on the game but that is a very very good thing he did nonetheless so I'm getting excited for Drew Waters all of a sudden I mean I already I, I already was excited for Drew Waters but especially so if he can play great defense and also 
a guy that I'm excited for is Michael Garcia. Four for four in this game, hitting leadoff. For some reason, he was substituted late. I don't know why that happened. That's the one thing that I'm going to just look at Q and go like, really? Do you have to do that? I don't quite get that. But he went four for four, drove in two on his own because the bottom of the order went got on base so much. Actually tweeted out that it was um, it it was only after the sixth inning. But I said that the 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 uh, the bottom of the order. No, actually, it was something else. Um, uh, and I'll get back to that. But the bottom of the order got on base eight times. So Michael Garcia, great hitter at the top, drives a couple in. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. also hitting second was also substituted late, but that's a little bit more understandable because. You know, he plays a lot, so you can rest him a little bit. Um, He went one for two with a walk. Bobby Witt Jr., walk, baby, let's go. He drove in two. Yeah, that top and the bottom of the order was just phenomenal in this game. And that's great because the middle of the order was actually kind of terrible for most of the game. After six innings, I, I the thing I actually tweeted out is that the three, four, five hitters in the lineup were were hitless. And just one walk between the three of them, which was Nick Prado. And then immediately after I posted that, Salvi gets on base. He gets a hit. And uh, and I think and Nick also got a got a hit. So he got on base a second time. Freddie Fermin didn't, was the one guy who didn't get on base. But I, I, no, that's not even true. He didn't get a hit or a walk, but he did. Get, he got on base through an error. So, yeah, everyone in the in the lineup got on base. Just a, just a great game in general. So great that even Dave Roberts, manager of the Dodgers, was was saying like, "Oh man, yeah, those Royals, they really uh, <laughs> they kind of kicked the crap out of us." They, like he straight up said, "I I I, re- I retweeted it. Where was it? Because Annie Rogers posted it. Our beat writer, MLB.com. Um, those guys outplayed us. It's a different brand of baseball. Putting the ball in play, hitting ba- hitting behind runners, stealing bases. They were excellent at situational hitting. To be honest." We couldn't keep up. That's how they beat us. That was the Dodgers manager talking about the Royals. <laughs> and and, it, and he was right. Like, the Royals played like the better team this weekend. Sure, a little bit of it was kind of like the Dodgers didn't look great. But it's not quite like the Rays series where, you know, I just kind of said, oh, man, the Rays really played like ass in those two games that the Royals won. No, I really do feel like, I mean, I... Saturday, I'll say this. Saturday was definitely a game where the Dodgers were competitive. So that's one game where the Royals can just say, "All right, they they got they they got one on them." But then Sunday, yeah, sure, they weren't looking very good, but still, nine runs. You you did well, no matter who you're playing. Great game, great series. Funny enough, all three series that the Royals have won this season are against NLB NL West teams. We we beat the Giants in a three game series. We can, we beat the Padres in the three-game series, and now we beat the Dodgers. Of course, we did lose to the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, but still. Um, put us in the NL West next season. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll definitely help this team as they finish with a 9-7 record on the season against that division. A, a division that's pretty good. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, very happy to take two from the Dodgers. So let's look ahead to the Minnesota Twins series. But first, I got to add something to the show. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience. So the Royals are going to play a three-game series against the Minnesota Twins, a team that is winning the division. 
with a losing record. The Minnesota Twins are 42 and 43. They're actually technically tied for first place with the with the Cleveland Guardians who are 41 and 42. So okay, I suppose that just kind of happens sometimes. So the Twins this season, they are really stretching the uh what is it? The logic, the philosophy of pitching being the currency of baseball. They have a 3.62 team ERA. That is second in baseball. They have the second best pitching in all of baseball, and they have a slightly losing record. 3.69 ERA from their starters. That is fourth in baseball. Their bullpen has a 3.49 ERA. That is third in baseball. Um, And it's funny because I was looking at the probable pitchers, and I was saying, okay, we're going to miss Bailey Ober, we're going to miss Sonny Gray, those are their two best pitchers, so we're going to miss the best part of the rotation, but then I look at, the, then you realize you have to face Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez. There is no good or bad part of this rotation. Like, I, I guess the Royals are getting the bad part of the Minnesota Twins rotation, but it's still a good rotation, especially um when I get into detail about these guys. And then, of course, there's that bullpen. Joan Duran fantastic closer i don't know if he's a closer that uh, if he's a closer if he's an all-star this season wouldn't surprise me if he is sub two era 12 saves so far they i don't know if they have like a traditional closer because that's not a lot of saves for a closer although he maybe he's just not getting many opportunities but i don't know uh just just no one seems to be super suspect in this bullpen griffin jacks emilio pagan giovanni moran pretty good i guess jorge lopez would be the one five ERA so far this season in 29 appearances. He's on the restricted list, though. Not sure what the deal is there, so maybe we won't even see him. Maybe we'll just call up some other random guy. But in any case, yeah, just all around, Twins have a great... They're the third best team in giving up walks, only 2.82 walks per nine innings. And they strike guys out, 9.5 strikeouts per nine innings that is second best in baseball but put those together and you have the best percentage of strikeouts to walks 18 percent. that is the best in baseball and evidently it's the best fielding independent pitching in baseball 3.69 so it's not even like the pitching staff is overperforming or anything like that and sure enough their defense is mid Pretty much. It ranks 17th according to Fangrass values, negative 17 outs above average, which is 28th in baseball, but 22 defensive runs saved, which is 6th in baseball. They're like the anti Royals who have a great outs above average, but a very negative defensive run saved. Not sure how those two things work in those ways, but overall, they're just kind of okay. Their offense, however, that's where. Things are obviously a little bit more suspect. 98 weighted runs created plus. That is 18th in baseball. And I'm not sure how it actually came to that because their slash line isn't good either. It's no, it's it's not 18th. They have a 232 average as a team. That is 25th in baseball. 24th best on base percentage of 309. 16th best slugging in 400. I guess maybe this is where they have a little bit of a of a, of, a, of offensive power. They are they are eighth in home runs hit with 108 so far. Uh, but that's all they really have going for them. They don't steal bases. They are their 29th. They are 29th in stolen bases. They have 39 stolen bases as a team. Three players on this team that have more than one stolen base so far. They are Byron Buxton, Willie Castro, and Michael A. Taylor. 
Yeah, remember Michael A. Taylor? He's having a terrible season offensively. So good on the Royals for trading. I mean, maybe the Royals should have traded him a little bit sooner than they did, but they at least they at least traded him before he completely fell off. And uh, one other thing about the Twins offensively is that they strike out a ton. I actually thought I heard somewhere that they might be on pace for like most strikeouts as a team. I don't know if that's actually true. I haven't looked into that, but they do have the most strikeouts so far. 27.2 strikeout percentage as a team. I guess that's what happens when you have Joey Gallo (laughs) on your roster. Although Michael A. Taylor is also striking out a freaking ton. He's striking out 34% of the time. Yeah, like I said, Michael A. Taylor is having a really terrible season. So anyway, pitching matchups for this series on Monday, the Royals are going to see Joe Ryan, a guy that I'm a fan of. He's on my fantasy roster. So um would it be would it be would it be wrong to root for him? I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, 3.44 ERA in 96.2 innings pitched. He's a pretty he's he's turning into a workhorse pitcher right there. What might be defined as a workhorse nowadays? He is one of the best in not walking guys. 1.4 walks per nine innings. That is elite. And also 9.8 strikeouts per nine, which is also really good. So his ERA is 3.44. His expected ERA is 2.73. So he's actually, he's actually underperforming. He's a righty who throws a four-seamer, split-finger, sweeper, and slider. The slider doesn't really move that much, but he locates it down and out really well against righties especially. The split finger, that's something that's kept low, and he gets really weak contact with it. And then he keeps the fastball up, but not like up where you want to hit it, up where you don't want to hit it. Only though he doesn't throw like super hard. Only throw only averages 92.5 miles an hour with the fastball, but evidently he locates really well. He knows what he's doing with these pitches. And the breaking stuff is all in the low 80s, maybe even upper 70s. So he's legit. He's a guy you can count on to really anchor a rotation. Good for those guys. Good for the Twins for just kind of getting this guy out of nowhere, seemingly. See what I mean about command being really important. Royals, meanwhile, are going to send out Austin Cox. That's his name. And uh, he's going to try to bounce back from a really, really bad start. He's only made one start so far in this season, but thrown 16 innings overall. 2.25 ERA, which is great because he didn't give up a run for a really long time until he started a game. Um, So yeah, last time he went 3.2 innings pitched, gave up four earned runs, and gave up four walks, which was especially bad. But hopefully he can bounce back against a lineup that's pretty good. Or not pretty good, actually. Although, the last lineup he faced was the Cleveland Guardians lineup, which is also not very good. We'll just have to see. And hopefully, also, he'll be a little bit more stretched out. Because he only threw 68 pitches last time. He's slowly been working. He's slowly been ramping up in the pitch count. Time before that, he threw 53 pitches. So, yeah, hopefully we'll, he'll, he's at the point where he can go, like, 90 pitches or so. Give the team five or six good innings. That is the hope for... The uh, for the lefty, Austin Cox. Tuesday, Royals are going to see Kenta Maeda, who is the one bad pitcher on the Twins roster, it seems, this season. 6.23 ERA in 26 innings pitched so far. Only six games started, and I think he might have been out with Tommy John because he missed a considerable amount in, of time in 2021, and then all 
of 2022. So it looks like he's just kind of bouncing back uh, from that. He was the second place finisher of the Cy Young Award in 2020. So I wouldn't entirely underestimate him. And funny enough, he has a 3.59 FIP. So that's very interesting, which is probably because he doesn't really give up walks and he gets some strikeouts, nine strikeouts per nine innings, and then 2.4 walks per nine. So those are pretty good and consistent with his career averages. But he does get hit around a lot and he also gets hit very hard. He's in the bottom 1% in exit velocity, and also 10.7 hits per nine. So he's really getting hit. And that's kind of new for him. He's, he's not someone who has been hit very hard ever in his in, in his career. But like I said, very good FIP, 3.59. Maybe the expected FIP is something different. I didn't look at fan graphs. Whoops. Anyway, he's got a slider and a sinker that he throws to righties a lot, and a split finger and curveball that he throws to lefties a lot. Uh, the split finger and the, and the four-seamer are both getting hit pretty often. Actually, no, it's the slider and the split finger that are really getting hit a lot. So, funny enough, his sinker and his and his curveball all have better numbers, but he doesn't really throw them all that often. But maybe he really can't throw them all that often. Or maybe maybe the numbers are good just because haters don't see it all that often. That's why you diversify your arsenal a little bit. And speaking of, we're also going to send out Zach Greinke. The fossil, the oldest man in the entire world on Tuesday, supposedly, again, um, I, I just kind of think that these are the probable pitchers. 5.15 ERA in 17 games started, 87.1 innings pitched, um, and unfortunately, it's going to be on the road, where he's generally not very good on the road. 7.04 ERA on the road. Yeah. Well, well, not a very good lineup, so that was a good time to lower that ERA a little bit. And then on Wednesday, the series is going to close with Pablo Lopez for the Twins, someone they acquired in the offseason for Luisa Rice, who might be the first 400 hitter in, like, an eternity or something. Uh, but it was a pretty good trade for what it's worth. 4.24 ERA and 102 innings pitched. He has a career-high strikeout rate, 11.1 per nine innings, and only 2.6 walks per nine. And yeah, the ERA, I would say, I was saying it was, it was a, it seems like a pretty good trade because they traded a 400 hitter for a guy with a four ERA, but his expected ERA is 3.09. So that's due for some really, really serious regression right there. He does not get hit hard, like, at all. He doesn't give up home runs. And, uh, yeah, then he just misses bats and don't, doesn't give up runs. What, what, what else do you want him to do? He's a four-seamer that he throws around 95 miles an hour. He throws it all the time. He throws it all the wear. He also has a changeup and a curveball for lefties, sweeper and sinker for righties, and the, the sweeper in particular is a nuts freaking pitch. 155 is what opponents are hitting against this pitch in particular. But that's actually underperforming the expected batting average, which which is 137. So this thing is just like, (laughs) if you see the sweeper at all, just, just, just go home and cry. I think that's what you're supposed to do against it. Yeah. Pablo Lopez is a very good pitcher. I've been a fan of his for at least a couple of years. So, um, I would not underestimate him. Don't sleep on this dude. And then the Royals maybe potentially will bring out Alec Marsh. Like I said, potential, 
the probable pitcher, just based on recent events, could change. 11.25 ERA in four innings pitched, but yeah, he only had one start, so won't really read too much into that. And if it's not him, then it'll be Jordan Lyles, 6.68 ERA in 16 starts, 91.2 innings pitched. Last time he faced, has he faced the Twins so far this season? He has. It was on, uh, he actually faced them twice this season. The first game was the second game of the season, 5.1 innings pitched, one earned run. So we actually had a, it was actually, it was actually pretty good. And then the second time, four innings, seven runs. <laughs> well, it's been a while, so maybe they forgot. I'd like to forget. But you know what you shouldn't forget? To like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> I don't actually know if those things are possible. But if you do rate and review this podcast, I would love you forever. If you don't, I still appreciate you. But that's going to be about it for me today. I'm going to get on out of here and let y'all enjoy your week. Maybe next time we'll talk about some draft picks potentially because the draft is coming up really, really soon. So we got to get prepared for that. And maybe some other stuff. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. So, hope I can see y'all again on Friday. And until then, I've been Lux. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day, by the way. And I hope you have a good one. And, uh, oh, what else was I supposed to say? Oh, yeah. Go Royal. Hey, maybe win three games in a row for a change.